While you turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. We're in Luke chapter 19 today. All right. Now that we've got rid of the riffraff, everybody will be good and quiet. Listen kindly. All right. No, we're, we're thankful for each and every one of those young children that are here. When you eat a meal with someone, it lends itself to a certain intimacy. Meals are incredible relational modes of communication. I dare say that the first date with the person you're sitting beside right now probably happened over a meal. Uh, the, or if you're not sitting beside somebody, the, the, your first date. Much business is done over a meal. Now, there's something personal about it. There's something very relational about meals. I'd go as far to say, in fact, we're going to be talking about this later, but that you become like the people you eat with the most, to spend the most time with. Meals bring the barriers down. Meals are more intimate. And so it, what happens when someone has a meal with Jesus? I looked throughout this uh, for the last few weeks. I've been looking at what the Lord had me, you know, we just got done with Esther and, and where, what direction we should go with next. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about suppers with Jesus. Uh, it's an interesting thing as you go throughout the New Testament and see how many times Jesus had a meal with someone. And when he did, they didn't come out of it unscathed. When you have a meal with Jesus, you're going to come out of it changed. And today I want to talk... Uh, about this uh, beginning uh, to talk about these suppers with Jesus. Now, there was a man on vacation strolling alongside of his hotel in Florida, and suddenly he heard the screams of a woman, and he looks over and sees her kneeling in front of a child, and he rushed over to be of some kind of help, and he found that the child had swallowed a coin and was choking on it. So he seized the child by the heels, he held him up in a certain angle, shook him just right, and a nickel fell down to the ground out of the child's mouth. The mother was, of course, overjoyed and grateful and says, you knew just how to do that. Are you a doctor? And he says, no, ma'am, I'm not. I'm with the United States Internal Revenue Service. And we, we know how to get a nickel out of anyone, especially their last one, amen? So this last week, I did my taxes. That's why I've got a little extra gray on the side of my head here. Uh, there's a saying, the only sure things in life are death and taxes. But death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. Have you ever noticed that? Taxes seems to get worse. Now, no one likes taxes. A fine is a tax for doing wrong. A tax is a fine for doing well. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, did you know, this will really, really help you. I'm not wanting to make you mad, but this will do it. Did you know that all the taxes you pay during the course of your life, if you're an average American, all the taxes you pay in your entire life, Congress spends in less than a second in our nation? That's nice to know. Who's glad they're here at church today, man? Get wonderful news like that. Uh, no wonder we don't like taxes. Now today, we're going to talk about one of these fine human beings we call tax collectors. So let's put our uh, bias aside and look at it objectively if we can. Let's start reading in our text, verse number 1. Luke 19.1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. 
And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little <coughs> of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man, by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Suppers with Jesus. Father, I pray you'd help us today as we see a great illustration in Scripture of the changing power you can have on each one of us. I pray you'd help us as we look at this story to look at it through the eyes of how we can be affected. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us several details about this Zacchaeus. First of all, it says that he was rich. Now, it's interesting because in the last chapter, a rich man came to Jesus as well. You'll remember in the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and Jesus asked him to, uh, not because you have to give your wealth away, nothing wrong with wealth, but <clears throat> because he was getting at the problem of the heart, Jesus said, give all your money to the poor. And the Bible says he went away sorrowfully. And then after he left, Jesus made this statement, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier that a camel go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples, understandably, were shocked. They couldn't believe that he made such a statement. They said, Who then can be saved? And Jesus answered with God, All things are possible. Well, the rich young ruler shows us that it is very unlikely for a rich man to become a Christian, but Zacchaeus in the very next chapter shows that it is not impossible for a rich man to become a Christian. And so it's interesting those stories are together. Uh, the name Zacchaeus means pure, righteous one. The truth is he was anything but. He was a publican, a tax collector. Now I guarantee everyone in his hometown, all the people that knew him did not see him as a pure and righteous person the way that his name uh, indicated he was. Uh, the tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Romans. It is no surprise that people would think they were traitors because they took money from their own people and gave it to the Roman overlords. Uh, and uh, they they were... Uh, th thing, things were even, was even worse for Zacchaeus because not only was he a publican, a tax collector, he was the chief publican. He was in charge of all the taxes for the entire region. So you had Jewish officials who charged the people, they extracted funds from their own people, exorbitant funds, and then gave it to the Roman government. Everybody despised them. To get an idea of how the general uh, attitude would be about publicans and tax collectors, uh, do you, if you've ever read about how there were Jewish people helping the Nazi party out in Germany during that time, uh, and, and then you get, kind of gives you an idea of what uh, the uh, people that oppress their own people, how folks would see them. Why would anybody take a job then as a tax collector? Why would anybody want that job? What could cause a man to betray his family, his countrymen, and live as a pariah in his own community? In short, there's one answer, money, and lots of it. 
He was a wealthy man. The incentive that the Romans offered was too good for some people to resist. Uh, you see, that they had a very complicated tax system, and the Roman officials would basically tell the tax collector this region, this is how much money I need from this area, and then the tax collector would have to turn that in, but he could collect whatever he wanted. He could uh, enlarge the fees that people had, and today we would call it extortion, because they whatever figure he gave you, Brother Corey, that you had to give, you'd have to give it or I could put the government behind you because the government was behind the tax collectors. And so they were hated, hated people. And understand, Zacchaeus is not just misunderstood. Zacchaeus is not a victim of bad circumstances. Zacchaeus is a genuinely bad person. The Jews don't despise Zacchaeus because they're judgmental or self-righteous, although they are. They despise him because he is an odious degenerate. He is a no-good, slimy thief, this Zacchaeus. They, they know it, and he knows it. So he was very rich. The second thing it says, that he was a short man. In Sunday school, you called him a wee little man. Remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, this was referring to his stature. He was short of stature. But there's more to it than that. Zacchaeus is the antithesis of everything that Jesus has been teaching in his ministry. Zacchaeus always comes up short. He comes up short in righteousness. Zacchaeus comes up short in virtue. Zacchaeus comes up short in decency. He comes up short in acceptance. And we learn through this story, he definitely comes up short in happiness. He's not satisfied. When it came to fulfillment in his life, Zacchaeus came up short, not because of his little stature, but because of his wicked living. And I cannot tell you today, friends, that every single one of us also comes up short. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us falls short. You may not be a thief. You may not be a cheat. Uh, but I tell you this, on your own and on my own, we will fall short of the glory of God. It is only through the grace and mercy of God that we are saved out of our condition. And that's what this whole passage is about. Salvation from the human condition. Uh, Zacchaeus took three vital steps I want to look at this morning, and we can apply this to our life. So let's review them very quickly. Number one, he climbed a tree. Now, the biggest barrier between our accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the biggest barrier in us becoming a Christian is often pride and our dignity as we see it. When Zacchaeus got up in that tree, he left behind his dignity and his pride. Even in our informal culture, this would be a little bit of a shocker. Imagine if we had a parade in Brookings. We sometimes do. And uh, it's up there uh, north of town. And as it comes around the corner, somebody would shout, Hey, look, there's the mayor. And we look over and, and our mayor would be climbing the tree and sitting out on a limb. Even today, that would seem a little undignified, wouldn't you think? But this is even more so in Zacchaeus' day because they lived in a traditional culture and there are things you just don't do in traditional cultures. Uh, one, we see uh, the, the, father, the story of the father and the prodigal son. Remember that story? Uh, the prodigal son went out and wasted his living and riotous living and, and he came back. He decided he would come back and ask his father to be a servant. And so there he comes in the distance. He is stinking of the hog pen. He's bedraggled. He is broke. He's thin. He's wasted away. 
and the Bible says the father saw him afar off. Remember what he did? And he ran. Patriarchs don't run, but he ran. That's the only time in the Bible we see a picture of God running. That's a blessing. And here's another one. Uh, dignified, rich men don't climb trees in this type of society. When Zacchaeus climbed a tree, he paid a price. Because this is something that a child might do, but not a man. When he climbed up that tree, he paid the price of ridicule. And by the way, just to note, this is we're not going down this path, but uh, maybe a study for you to do on your own sometime. There's a great relationship in the Bible between salvation and trees. Look it up. It's pretty cool. Uh, but in many ways, this hasn't changed. There, it takes different forms in every culture, but you cannot be one of his unless you're willing to get up in a tree, unless you're willing to look ridiculous sometimes or even silly to others. You have to swallow your pride. Honestly, you have to look like a child. Can I give you an example? This is what the educational elites teach us today. Hey, there is no supernatural. The world is, this world that we see is all that there is. You're just here by accident. You're just a random product of natural selection, survival of the fittest. When you die, that's it. There's nothing else. There is no supernatural good. There is no supernatural evil. Good and evil are just societal constructs. What? You believe in God? You believe in the devil? What are you, a child? Are you, you also still believe in Santa Claus? That's the kind of reaction Christians get in this day and age. And so to hold to these truths... We are not considered by general academia and society enlightened, mature adults. You believe the earth was created in 60 days and you believe it's a young earth? You're considered a child. You've climbed a tree. Now, what does the Bible say about all this? Well, Jesus actually deals with it pretty directly in Matthew chapter 18. He pulled a child into the midst of them as an object lesson and uh, this is what he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become like little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says you have to be willing to look childish. You have to be willing to uh, not fit into society. you got to climb a tree. That's the first thing Zacchaeus did. He climbed a tree. The second thing he did, this is a good one too, he got over the crowd. Now, what is the main thing that keeps... Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus. It's the crowd. Remember what the Bible says about Zacchaeus? He was a short man. Now, you really got to hand it to short people because they usually can't reach it. Now, say that again. You really got to hand it to short people because they usually can't reach. Some of us are not as tall as others, okay? It's all right. God lets things grow until they're perfect. Some of us don't take so long, amen? And so, to, as others, it's not, be, it's not fun being short, especially where Zacchaeus was that day. And if you're shorter, uh, like me sometimes among some people, but you sometimes to see over things, you got to do a little stretching, and you got to try to jump and see over the crowd. And Zacchaeus, this was his situation. He couldn't see Jesus. He wanted to get to him. Which, by the way, we're not even really entering that part of the message today, but what a blessing that Zacchaeus, with all that he had, felt a hole right here, and something was missing, and somehow he had an intuitive knowledge that if I just reach him, I can have that fulfilled. Well, he was right, but he couldn't get there. The crowd stopped him. Now, why didn't he just stand in front of the crowd? Well, obviously, they didn't let him. 
that's what short people do, right? When you take a picture, you know, hey, pastor, get in the front. I've heard that too many times. Uh, you know, we won't be able to see you. And so do you get the short people up front and all the snobby, tall people stand in the back. And, and uh, so, but why wasn't he in front of the crowd? He wasn't in the front. They didn't let him in the front. They were self-righteous. They were moralistic. Notice verse 7, when they looked down on Zacchaeus and called him a sinner. You see, I believe that the number one thing that keeps us from coming to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is our pride. It, it is what, we don't want to climb a tree. We don't want to divorce ourselves from worldly thinking. We don't want to open ourselves up to ridicule. But the second biggest thing that holds us back, I believe, is we can't get past the crowd. I've talked to people that know they need to be saved, but they won't do it. I've talked to saved people who know they need to sell out to God, but they won't do it. The thing that holds them back is their crowd that they're around. I like what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus found a way to look at Jesus apart from the crowd. Uh, he Not only didn't he let the crowd keep him from seeing Jesus, he didn't even try to see Jesus through the crowd. He found a place where he could get over the crowd, where he could get past the crowd and see Jesus directly. Let me ask you this question today. Who do you allow to come between you and Jesus? Well, preacher, there's too many hypocrites in the church, so I don't go to church. I've heard that one too many times. Really? You're going to let a hypocrite keep you from Jesus? Get between you and Christ? You know what that means, by the way? If there's a hypocrite between you and Jesus, that means he's closer to Jesus than you are. Amen? By the way, are there hypocrites in the church? Yeah, it's full of them. <laughs> we're really all hypocrites if we're kind of honest with ourselves. Amen? So don't let... Uh, you know, and by the way, there's always room for one more, so you can join if you like. Amen. About a month ago, I was talking to a man about spiritual things, and uh, he was telling about how he used to go to church faithfully as a kid and as a young man, but uh, years ago, uh, he was very deeply offended by something that happened in church, and he's not been back, and he won't go back. I hear that occasionally, and my response to that is that I would love to be able to be like that, but I can't because of my stomach. Now, that doesn't make sense, but sometimes I like to put things out there so that it makes them listen for more, because you've got to explain that, right? Let me explain. In fact, I have a picture, if uh, they can throw it up on screen. I took this picture 11 years ago. Uh, this dear, sweet lady, I was in line at the grocery store, had my cart, and this lady... Comes, uh, I had just looked aside at something, and when I looked forward again, this lady had rammed her cart against the front of my cart and wedged herself in front of me. What in the world? I felt like I was in the twilight zone. This, this little sweet lady rammed herself in front of my cart, and now she's just there. I mean, what do I do? I can't yell at her. She's a little old lady. I can't beat her up. Well, I probably could have beat her up, but it probably wouldn't have been a good idea for me to do that. And uh, so there she, she is in line. I'm just, I mean, I had enough, enough time to take a picture of it. I was just like, I can't wait to tell my wife about this. I mean, this is amazing. Then she gets up to the register. I didn't say anything. I let her be there. She gets up to the register, and you know what you do and I do when we're in line, and uh, especially if older people get in front, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. 
please use a credit card, use a credit card, use a credit card. No, no, she pulled out her checkbook. Oh, now I know I'm going to be waiting for another five, ten minutes. Pulled out a checkbook, pulls out her glasses. Now, who do I make the check out to? And, and slowly, painfully writes the check. This cost me seven minutes. For 11 years, I've been running seven minutes behind because of this woman right here. And you know what? Truthfully, I can tell you, I was offended. I was offended. But you know what happened? I leave and a few days later we're getting low on groceries and I went back to that store. Do you know why? Because I was hungry. I didn't get food there. You know why you stay out of church for 20 years because somebody offended you? You're not hungry. You're not hungry. I tell you this, friend, you get a hunger for the things of God, you get a longing for the Savior, you will climb a tree to get to Him. You'll do what it takes, and you won't let anybody get in your way. No crowd is going to keep you away. You're going to get to Jesus. I was talking to Pastor Nick about this this week, and he made this great statement I want to read to you. The only places we allow ourselves to be offended out of is places we don't want to be in the first place. What a contrast between the attitude of Jesus towards Zacchaeus and the attitude of the crowd, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. All they could do is stand by and criticize. Can I tell you today, friends, do not let a crowd keep you from Jesus. Don't let a criticizer keep you from serving the Lord. How desperate are you today to get to Jesus? Be like Zacchaeus. Get over the crowd. Get over the crowd. By the way, Jesus did this too. In chapter 18, as the chapter ends, just before this, Jesus heals a blind man named Bartimaeus. And when he heals the blind man, the Bible says that, uh, let me just read it exactly here. The Bible says, all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Verse 43 of the previous chapter. In chapter 13, uh, 18, they all praised Jesus. He is wonderful. What a great thing he did, healed this blind man. And now... Uh, Jesus, and now in this chapter, they're being criticizing him because of what he did. And I find it very fascinating that Jesus was not impressed by their praise or depressed by their criticism. He got over the crowd. Jesus wasn't ruled by any crowd. Jesus loved on a sinner. He extended himself, and the people murmured and criticized him. Listen, every time you try to sell out for God and do something for God, there's inevitably going to be somebody along the sidelines that are criticizing you or second-guessing you. Get over the crowd. Just get over it. And if you're a lost person, you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity in, and you'd like to know and if the crowd is keeping you, oh, friend, nothing is worth keeping you from coming to Jesus. Get over the crowd. That's the second thing he did. He climbed a tree. He got over the crowd. Thirdly, he took Jesus home. We can picture the scene in our mind's eye here, uh, an eager face looking through the greenery. This was early spring, so the trees would have been budding and looking through the leaves there, watching this procession come down the street. Uh, he's wanting to see the man he's been hearing so much about. Maybe this man will care for even the likes of him. And as Jesus walked, he had around him a group of people. And these people, the crowd that kept Zacchaeus from getting to him, they felt vastly superior to the likes of publicans and sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and all the low end of society. They were holy people. 
And yet, instead of addressing them, Jesus looks at the worst sinner in the bunch, and He speaks to him. He chose not only to talk to him, but to eat supper with him. This meant something in that culture. It meant friendship. It meant acceptance. The Bible says they all murmured. This is a very inclusive statement. It talks about the general attitude among the people there. They could not imagine why Jesus would talk to somebody so unworthy. But praise God, He does not save us because of what we are. He saves us because of what He is. Amen. I'm grateful for that. Because I am not worthy saving, and neither are you. None of us are. We are undeserving, and He is merciful. Everyone was offended, but Jesus didn't care. I love the words in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw Him. Whew, that's good stuff, isn't it? The crowd despised Him, but Jesus saw Him. The crowd saw His reputation. Jesus saw His possibility. Praise God, Jesus sees you not for what you are, but what you can be. Jesus did not start out the conversation by Zacchaeus, shame on you. <laughs> he could have, but he didn't. He didn't start out by saying, Zacchaeus, believe in me. What he did say is, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now, uh, I've read this story probably a hundred times, but I only caught something this last time. This is one of the wonderful things about the Word of God. You read it over and over, you get new things, and, and the Lord shows you new things. But I did a little bit of a word study here, and I never saw this until now, but the, verse, uh, the word abide in verse 5 means to remain, to abide, to sojourn, to tarry, the original word. The word in verse 7, to be guest of, means to put up, to lodge. This means that Jesus did not only come over for supper. He stayed a while. I don't know how long. Maybe for the weekend, maybe for the night, maybe for a week, maybe longer. But he stayed and uh, ate with him and stayed with him. But I want you to see the order of grace here. It's important. Does Zacchaeus say, I'm going to stop cheating people, Jesus? And then Jesus say, okay, then I'll come home with you. Is that what happens? No, no, not at all. No, Jesus says, I'm coming home with you, Zacchaeus, before Zacchaeus ever repented, before he ever got his heart right. In fact, before Zacchaeus invited Jesus into his life, Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. Whew, that's good stuff. Oh, I love this story. It's such a wonderful picture, really, of all of us. The, the, the fact that the decisive seeker in this text was not Zacchaeus, it was Jesus. God says in Ezekiel 34, 16, I, I will seek the one which is lost. I will bring again that which was driven away. I will bind what was broken. I will strengthen that which was sick. Thank God he seeks the undeserving. That's what mercy and grace is. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift to the guilty. Jesus did not come here to this tree, look up, say, now, if you'll clean up your life, if you'll stop cheating people, then I'll stay with you. But I love this. Jesus said, in spite of your sin, in spite of what you've done, I want to come and be with you. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Religion tells you that you have to clean up and then you'll be accepted. Jesus Christ says, Come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I'm glad that he went to be a guest in the house of a sinner because, dear friend, when Jesus comes into your life, when he comes into my life, he's coming to be the guest of a sinner. Every single one of us are so undeserving, just like Zacchaeus was. Now, then verse 8 there, we have a different setting here. Presumably, there's a little bit of a time lapse as Jesus goes to his house. They have a meal. Most likely, that's what you would do. Uh, they, uh, they, by, by the way, can you imagine preparing a meal for Jesus? What would you cook? I bet you'd serve him bread because you can't have a meal without bread. Amen? It's not a meal without bread. So, can you imagine serving bread to the bread of life? Ooh, that's an amazing thought. He's the one who satisfies all the soul's hunger and the heart's desire. While Zacchaeus would feed Jesus and give him physical substance, Jesus would feed Zacchaeus and give him spiritual sustenance. Verse 8 is the setting here of a new scene. Zacchaeus now, after they've spent a little time together, he stood before Jesus and he made his announcement. And it was somewhat of an announcement. I love how he begins, Behold, Lord. You see emotion there. Lord, look, 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 look. Because of what you've impacted me, I want you to see my heart, Lord. I want you to see what I'm about to say. The grace that Jesus showed on Zacchaeus went through him like a lightning bolt. And so Zacchaeus essentially says, because you saw me and you accepted me and because you loved me, I want to change. Again, it's not, I'll change so you love me. That's religion. We're not talking about religion here today. We're talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't accept us after we change. He accepts us and then changes us transforms us from the inside. The love of Christ is not the basis for change. The love of Christ is the dynamic for the change. The change is not what merits the love. The change is what comes as a result of the love. When Zacchaeus lays out what he will do, it's very important. Jesus does not say, now salvation will come to you. No, Zacchaeus says what he says, and then Jesus says, this is a sign that salvation has come. That's the way that announcement is. Salvation first, then the change. Friend, if you'll ever experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you too will be changed forever. There's a reason that people were so horrified that Jesus is willing to go and eat with Zacchaeus. In those days, to go home and eat with somebody, it really meant something important. It meant to participate with that person and, and with their family to identify them. In those days, the evening meal was the center of family life. It was a long meal. They would spend, and a lot of cultures today still do that, hours and hours of sitting at the evening meal. There were no electronics to run back to. I hope you don't allow electronics at your table. Uh, there were no electronics to worry about. There was no TV on the schedule. The dinner was the deal. That was all that was. You, nothing really happened after you ate. You had the meal and, and spent the time together, and then you went to bed after that. And you, you, uh, you, you basically ate slowly during the evening. Again, many cultures still do that. It was the heart of family life. And so to invite somebody over to that meal was to ask for intimacy. It was to bring them into the very fiber of their family's life. Jesus doesn't just want you to meet him on Sunday. He wants to be a part of your life. That's exactly what happens here. The change that comes into Zacchaeus' life because of his accepting of Christ as Lord. This is a very important here. Why did Zacchaeus sacrifice 
everything to go after money. That was his God. Why does money seemingly no matter, not, not matter to him anymore? He had a new God. Except the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord. Now money doesn't matter. That's not my God anymore. You, you, you imagine everything Zacchaeus sacrificed, all the friends and family and love and acceptance and societal hatred, all that was gone for him. And, and uh, he, he, he had to live with that every day so that he could have money. That was his God. Now his God changed. And when his God changed, he did along with it. Uh, because the Bible, by the way, the, says you cannot serve God and mammon, Luke 16, 13. But look at what grace did in his life. The Bible says, commands us to give 10% of our income to the Lord. That's called the tithe. Now, Zacchaeus said, forget that. I'm going to give 50%. Zacchaeus is the kind of church member we like. Amen? I'm going to give 50%. The Bible says when you've cheated somebody, you've got to pay it all back plus 20% on top of it. Numbers chapter 5, verse 7. Zacchaeus said, uh-uh. 20% doesn't cut it for me. I'm going to pay back 400%. This is incredible because Zacchaeus isn't doing what is required. Zacchaeus is responding to grace. He's not responding to some rule. That's religion. Religion is about rules and doing all these things, and I have to check all these boxes, and then maybe I'll be accepted by God. That's religion. This isn't religion. He's responding to grace here. When you get a good grip, friend, on what God's done for you, no one has to twist your arm. If you are passionate about Jesus, nobody has to beg you to come to church. Well, if you love God and He's the God of your life, He'll be the God of your pocketbook too. If you understand how much you've been forgiven, you'll forgive others. If you understand the great kindness with what God has done for you in your life, you won't have any problem being kind to others. I'm simply saying we ought to respond to God's grace in kind with others. That's what Zacchaeus did. Supper with Jesus changed his life. It'll do the same for you. Nobody can invite Christ in their life and not be changed. In fact, did you know that that invitation is there for you as well? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and I will sup with him and he with me. That verse is often used as a gospel invitation, and that's all right, although that's not what it's there for. The textual interpretation of that verse is that Christ stands outside the door of a lukewarm church. He's knocking. The church has wealth. The church has power. The church has a reputation. Beautiful building, but no Christ. He's outside knocking. How tragic is it that a Christian become so, can become so lukewarm and so proud that Jesus has to stand on the outside? He is left out of their programs and out of their plans and out of their hearts. I'll tell you what he wants. He says it right in that verse. He wants to sup with you. Supper with you, for lack of a better term. Amen? That's what he wants. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be invited into the daily rhythms of your life. He wants to work out the implications of the gospel in every nook and cranny of your life. He wants everything to change, everything. And if you have supper with Jesus, it will. If you really get a good dose of Christ in your life, the way that you spend your money, how you spend your thought life, 
uh, your family life, your job. He wants to be your God instead of the idolatry of the world that we cling to so many times that fails us every time. He wants to be your God. Not just to see Him on Sunday, but to give Him access to every single part of your life. Have you done that? The story of Zacchaeus shows us that God can write straight on crooked lines. Just get over yourself. Climb a tree. Be willing to look like a child and be like a child and have that childlike faith in Him. Let Him in. Get over the crowd. Don't let anyone stand between you and your Savior today. If you're here today and you don't know that you know that you know that heaven is your home after you die, settle that today. Don't let a crowd get in the way. One day we'll all stand before Christ, the Bible says, in judgment. And that crowd's not going to be there with you. It's just you. It's just Him. Don't let a crowd get in the way of making the right decisions for Him. Dear Christian, don't let a crowd get in the way of you serving God, selling out for Him 100%. He stands at the door and He's knocking. He wants to have supper with you. He wants to sup with you, He said. Let Him in. Invite Him into every part of your life. Nothing closed off to him. Nothing kept from him. And you watch him when you do that. You watch him transform your life. Supper with Jesus. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know, friend, where this message found you today, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe hearing this message, you're thinking, you know what, that's what I need. That's what I need. I need to have supper with Jesus. I need to get Him in my life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, nobody's looking around, by the way. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But just say, Pastor, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure if something happened to me today, I'd be in heaven. I'm not sure. Would you pray for me?